On the Jacob Ear Show today, I am so happy to have Dr. Cyan Proctor on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and it's a real pleasure to be here. Well, first off, um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, you are a scientist, a geologist. You have your PhD. Um, you're big into space. You've had quite an accomplished career. Um, you've also are a community college professor. And you're most recently a commercial astronaut who went up to space about three months ago with the Inspiration4 mission, which helped raise money for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. How are you doing today? You know, I'm doing pretty stellar, I got to say. You know, it, it, it's been a life-changing year. Um, I keep thinking as we're coming to an end of 2021, I keep thinking what a year, a difference a year can make. And, uh, and it's, it really has been a magical experience. Wow. And I, I mean, I, I've watched the Netflix documentary. You guys did so many amazing things, which we're about to cover in this interview today with what you did. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, a year ago around this time, had you been selected yet or no? It was after the Super Bowl, correct? Right. So no, a year ago, I had just gotten um, my divorce finalized. I uh, was broke living in my brother's house. Um, you know, everything I owned was um, downgraded into a one bedroom uh, in my, like I said, my brother's place. And I was just trying to get my, myself started again and get back on my feet. Um, and I was excited to go into 2021 because I was going to be able to get my own apartment and move out in January. And it wasn't until February that they announced the contest um, at the Super Bowl. And I didn't even watch the Super Bowl because I didn't have a TV. And um, but friends kept saying, hey, there's, you know, they're taking civilians to space. You should apply. And it wasn't until I saw a friend's video on, on Twitter that I realized that there wasn't just one seat up for grabs, but two. And, and so I thought, okay, I think I can uh, put in for the second seat, um, which was the, the prosperity seat. And it's the seat I ultimately ended up winning. Which is just awesome. And you are, I mean, I, you are, you're wonderful. Your story and everything is just wonderful. Your experience and how you were a NASA finalist. Um, what, so what was that process like once you found out that you were chosen, like you're going to space? <laughs> it really was, you know, I, 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 depending on how old you are, I reference it as that Willy Wonka golden ticket moment, or you're a wizard, Harry. And he's like, I can't be a wizard. Uh, you know, when Jared said you won and you're going to be an astronaut, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like I actually did it. Somebody said yes. Um, so it really, all of the emotions of wanting, you know, having this childhood dream finally manifest and become reality um, were just sitting there and, and just finally came out where I couldn't believe it. Um, and I was so happy. And then, it, but you know, that's, that's the, that's the starting line. That's like saying you made it, you know, to the Olympics, but now you have to go win the gold medal. <laughs> and so the next came after that, after the announcement of, you know, you're, you're going to space and you're going to be the mission pilot. It was time to get to work for the next six months and, and really buckle down and, and, figure out how to become a systems engineer and do all the things that I needed to do to uh, be a, help make the mission a success. Absolutely. Like how then you guys started training, you did things in it to grow as a crew, like climbing Mount uh, Rainier, yeah. which <laughs> that that's on its own is very tough. Um, 
Very tough. I, I learned that. when I was in Arizona, I climbed Camelback Mountain, and that wasn't easy as when I was a girl at the time. So climbing uh, Mount, Mount Rainier is, you know, growing as a team. What was that experience like for you? Um, you know, I figured out that Mount Rainier has two gradients, steep and steeper. Um, <laughs> like it was so, and I'm a hiker. I'm a geoscientist. I've hiked the Grand Canyon rim to rim in a day. I have, I've hiked the Camino de, de Santiago across Northern Spain, but I am not a mountaineer. Um, and and there really is, I learned that there is a difference. One, being from Tempe, Arizona, I do not like being cold. And uh, two, you know, walking in snow and having, you know, to march in line so that you use the person in front of you, the tracks in front of you um, to help stabilize you. But nine and a half hours, steep and steeper, whew, you know, that was the toughest climb I've ever done. But we were rewarded the next day. Actually, that night I was rewarded with a beautiful night sky. And then the next day it was crystal clear, beautiful blue, um, uh, brilliant white snow and, and just lots of fun. Wow. And after that, of course, then you went back to more training. Um, you had about six, seven months of training, uh, which is a long time <laughs> and long days. I remember the documentary studying afterwards in the late afternoon hours, early night hours. Uh, basically, I mean, you were training, you had, you were training alongside other astronauts who were in training as well. What was that process like? It was actually kind of cool and validating because you, you know, when we would go into SpaceX, they had two main training rooms with simulators and stuff. And, you know, we'd be in one and we would know that the NASA astronauts that were going to go um, maybe before us or after us were training in the room right next door. And they were getting the exact same training we were getting from the SpaceX side. And, and that's really reassuring because when people say, well, you, you know, they're not, um, they're not astronauts like NASA. And you're like, oh, well, actually, we went through the same training that NASA astronauts went through. And, um, and SpaceX just really did a great job of preparing us for, you know, emergencies and contingencies and what me and Jared, Jared as my commander and me and as, as the mission pilot, what we could and could not do with the Dragon capsule. Uh, and I, and I, I say I became a systems engineer in six months because it really was learning about all the different systems and um, what they do, what pages have what on them, and then what, whether or not we could do something with that system or not. And, and so it, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And um, what do you say it was like as you're getting closer to the launch? Um, what was that experience like Were the days before and then the day of what was that experience like? I remember uh, the morning of the launch, I was going for a run and I told my friends, hey, if you got nothing going on tonight around eight o'clock, 802, there's going to be a flight going off. And it's not just any flight. It's the first all private civilian flight to space to go into orbit. And I think I even got one of my friends to check it out. So what was that like, of course, day of? You know, it, it was that you, you work so hard and then finally the day is there. And it's kind of cool because your family and your friends are now all in town and you can't see them because you're quarantined, but you know you can see them and, and hear what they're doing kind of like at a distance um, and through social media. And they were just having the time of their lives. And it was the first time since my mom passed away that my entire family was together. So my, my two brothers and my sister, and then I had some nieces and uh, nephews there. and. And it was just um, nice knowing that you were supported by all of these people. And, and then the excitement of the fact that you were going to space and that 
you know, something that I'd worked for my entire life was coming true. And I just remember the day of getting dressed and, and, you know, putting on my spacesuit and how happy I was to have it on. And, and then being able to go out to the launch pad and you're listening to your, your favorite song as you're driving up to the pad, you get to pick out one song. Haley and I got to share that song and had to negotiate which one it was going to be. Mm -hmm. um, but then you, you, you know, you get strapped in and you, and you go through all of the countdown and the sequence and you get down to the last two minutes and you're like, there's no scrub or anything. And you're like, okay, <laughs> we're going to do this. We're actually launching. And, and it, it was amazing. And it was the best experience of my life by far. Um, and I, I just hope more people get to experience it. Absolutely. So then what was it like after uh, the launch, um, as you're going up there, uh, you guys, I believe it was around 340 miles in orbit, higher than the International Space Station at about 200 miles. Uh, what was it like once you got up there and you were finally able to unstrap yourself? I, I remember on the way up there, you had, I don't know if it was after the second stage, but I remember it was you who had the thumbs up, I believe. And you were, oh, I was all about thumbs up yeah. and ready to go. and give What was that up. like as you were getting out of your seat and getting ready to float around for the first time in space? Ooh, not just well, you know, <laughs> it, it was awesome because the first thing you notice is that your hands float. And then when you unbuckle, you begin to float and you slide out and you're like, it's kind of like, you know, Peter Pan, because it's not, there's no resistance and you just are suspended. You're just hanging there. And, um, and, but the funny thing is that I get sick on small boats and stuff. Um, and I could feel just that little bit of queasiness in the stomach and you feel right away, like the fluid shift and your nose gets a little stuffy and you're, and you're ahead because of no gravity pulling down on you. All of those fluids kind of go up. And, and I just remember being like, okay, my stomach, like not to the point where I was going to throw up, but I was like, huh, all right, I'm getting a little bit of uh, space motion sickness, you know, space sickness and being really cautious about how I moved because I didn't want it to get worse. But luckily, Haley, our medical officer was there, was trained um, to give us, you know, medicine if we weren't feeling good. And it got to the point where I finally said, you know what, I want to take the medicine. And within a half hour, that queasiness was gone and, uh, and I was able to continue with the rest of the day and getting some of the things that I needed to get done. So, um, but all of that with, with floating in space, it's one of my favorite things I've ever done is float in space because, and to the point where I dreamt about floating in space for about the first two to three weeks that I was back on earth because my brain was just, wow. my brain loved it. And so having dreams of floating uh, and recapturing that moment, um, yeah, really cool. And speaking of floating around, of course, it was the first time you had had a, cup a cupola out of any, and it was out of, for any space mission ever. Uh, what was that like? I remember it was, I think, Darth Vader music, if I remember, and they were opening it up or something like that. What was that <laughs> like the first time they put your head through the glass thing? And all you see is the oceans below you, the North Pole, you're in was, orbit. What is that moment like? You know, it was a uh, 2001 a Space Odyssey um, that I played and I had it queued up on my iPad 
And, and I knew that this was going to be a historic moment and, and how important it was that um, somebody documented. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to document this. I'm going to do it justice. And I, and I just hit the play button right at the right time. So the music lined it up, lined up perfectly. And what I loved was that I was really focused on my crewmates as, you know, they were opening up the hatch, you know, good shot of Haley and then down to Jared and over to Chris and then back up. And then, and then over to that view of the earth and having earth shine you know when you go out and you have moonlight or earth light i call it um when you you go out at, on a full moon and you can see by moonlight um and you can feel that reflective sunlight off of the moon coming back and casting upon you well the earth has a very high reflectivity and we get earth light and if you can see in that video as we open up the cupola you can see how the our capsule gets flooded and that, that yes. light is reflecting. It's like the earth pulsating back at you. And, and you can feel its warmth and its glow and its beauty just, just cascading upon you. And, and I love the, you know, the fact that we had this giant window really made all the difference because you could go up and you could see the entire earth and you could just be bathed in you know, this, the, the glow of it, the reflection of the, the light coming off of the earth, but it just radiated back at you. Wow. I hope to experience that one day. <laughs> Me too. Um, I hope you do. It is. Which our know, generation is going to all get to go to space, of course, yes. on suborbital flights, possibly even orbital flights in my lifetime. We'll see where science takes us in research. Um, I mean, Starship is designed to take hundreds of people. Which, and so you're going to have all kinds absolutely. of opportunity. Which the Dear Moon thing is about a year and a half away, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say is what was the best thing you did while you were up there in space? Of course, you had, uh, I don't know if it was you, but somebody played an instrument, if I that recall. That was Chris. Chris, Chris played the instrument. For me, I got to paint and draw in space. So I brought markers and I brought watercolors. And I was able to cre create a complete um, picture, like draw it and paint it all in. It took me hours. Um, luckily, both my crew members and SpaceX said, hey, this is important. We're going to give you time to go and off into the corner and paint. <laughs> and, and so that was such a great experience. And then, um, but also markers, because I wanted to see if the markers would work and, you know, um, surface tension, you know, being able to, as long as you have that surface tension to hold the water and or the, um, the paint, then it works just like being uh, on Earth. It was fantastic. Um, so that I'm really proud of the fact that I was able to do those things, um, that artist side of me. Uh, and then the other one is just being able to look outside that cupola at our beautiful planet. Wow. And what was it like? Um, did you sleep in the seat? I just got to ask this question because I wonder because it's it, it's a I mean, you can fit four people in a capsule. You want to fit 10 or 11 and they're like Starship. Or did you sleep in the back? Because I know in the video, I, I believe it was Jared Ice when he's like, I'm just going to see what's more comfortable. While I'm up there for three days. How did you sleep? Did you sleep uh, in the seats or did you just float around in the capsule? Because that's not super big. Uh, so how did you do it? Well, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, we had sleeping bags that you could, and the sleeping bags really is to just keep you in place. So you tie your sleeping bag to your seat and it hovers above your seat and then you just slide in. And that means because any little movement, you're going to go all the way across the capsule until you, you know, hit the wall and then you'll bounce at the wall and slowly move to the other way. So it's really hard to just float and sleep. 
um, if you don't have a, a lot of space to not run into something. So everybody tied their sleeping bag to their seat and then, you know, slept in that, except for me, because we have um, our seats were like in the middle of the cabin, but below that we had our storage. And so we had these hard locker cases right down the middle between Jared and my, my seat. And there was enough space about a foot and a half where you could slide in and you could not have to restrain yourself because you would just float up against the top of the seat and you could lay perfectly flat. And, and I claimed that spot. Wow. <laughs> and Jared was like, you know, he's like, wow, you claimed the best spot in the <laughs> capital to sleep in. And I was like, yes, I did. But what was funny is that when you, when I would wake up in the middle of the night, I had this total spatial disorientation because you would shift just a little bit or float, you know, just slightly off and you'd wake up and I would look and I'd be like, where am I? And it was this processing because, you know, like Jared was above me in his seat and his feet would be like at some weird angle because he was just floating there and then Haley and there would be bags. And it was just, I was like, what is going on? And it'd take me a minute to process where I was, what was happening, what I was seeing. And then I'd be like, okay, I can I'm go back floating. to sleep now. <laughs> and I'm floating. Yeah. And then what was it like, of course, um, coming back in to earth, back into the atmosphere? What was that process like as you were then slowly landing? Oh, it was actually kind of funny because what happened was that um, Jared wanted, you know, re-entry um, going when you're going up, you, there, you have a launch escape system, but coming back, you know, when you're hitting the atmosphere, you don't know if your shields are going to hold up. You don't know what's going to happen. And you have, you have very little control there. Um, you have control when it comes to the drogues and the mains coming out, but you don't have control whether or not your heat shield is going to protect you as you come back in the atmosphere. And it, it's really one of the most dangerous parts of um, human spaceflight because you're going at 17,500 miles per, per hour and you got to take out all of that energy, right? Um, and so you're just, it, it's just one of those things where you're, you're a little bit worried, but you're also very you know, you know, statistically that everything most likely is going to work out just fine. And right before we were going into the atmosphere and we were preparing, Jared started to tell us about our splashdown party because he wanted to save something for us to have to look forward to when we got down. And that's when we found out that we were going to have this awesome splashdown party when we got back and that, wow. you know, like he even uh, rented the Star Wars cantina scene. If you remember the original Star Wars, where they have the cantina bar um, and that they have the, the uh, little like puppets playing the music and stuff. And it was so funny because Jared's telling us about the, the party and how great it's going to be. And I had the complete set of John Williams songs. And so I brought up the cantina and I started playing it and we all just started laughing and enjoying it. And so going back into the atmosphere at the beginning was really um, funny and, and exciting because we were just swapping stories and talking about, um, you know, what was going to happen once we got back down, but then you hit the atmosphere and the G load comes on and, <laughs> and it is so much heavier than you anticipate. And because you've been floating in space and your body adapts to, as soon as you start hitting just a little bit of G's, you can feel it in your chest. And by the time you hit six G's, you're like pressure breathing. You're like, <gasps> you know, and you're waiting for you to get through the, that, you know, slow down enough so that you don't have that, that um, G load anymore. Wow. And then you're down and. Splashdown. 
splashdown, and I remember the Twitter video when you were coming out of the capsule and you were dancing. <laughs> yes, because so it was I've, my Phoenix Rising moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I remember that. I think it was it, it was it's pinned on your Twitter right now. So it if anyone wants to see what the moment is like when you come back to Earth and you're in the capsule, check it out on your Twitter, and you can see what it's like when you come back from space and you're excited to be back and see your family. Um, a couple other things real quick, if, if you don't mind me asking, just a few more questions, is, of course, uh, one of the things that you had brought to space with you was a Neil Armstrong signature. Your dad had worked on the uh, project in Guam. What was that like? What was, what was it like taking that to space with you? You know, um, one of the hardest parts was the fact that my parents had passed away. And, um, and so they never got to see me uh, do this, achieve this uh, historic uh, a moment of me going to space. And, and I know that they would be so proud, but um, I was able to take them with me in the types of memorabilia I brought. And one of them that's been in my family since um, the Apollo 11 mission is the Neil Armstrong autograph to my dad, thanking him for what he did while he was on Guam. And, and it was such an honor to be able to carry that with me um, and knowing that my legacy and, you know, and, and my love of space and, um, and being able to do this started back with him and his journey and what he did with NASA. And, and so it kind of felt like coming full circle in the fact that I could bring um, that with me to space. Absolutely. And one last question I just have is you mentioned wanting to inspire hope for people um, what is something that you think we can do to advance STEM in our school system, science, technology, engineering, and math, for specifically for females and, and women of color, how do you think we can improve that? You know, I, I've always been a fan of uh, go to where the students are. And so there's science and technology, engineering and math in everything, whether it's art, whether it's sports, um, whether it's business, it's all entwined. I, I mean, there's art and science and there's science and art. And so you don't have to, you know, for people to have an appreciation of art and uh, of STEM, you can go to the arts and, and have them experience it there and understand why it brings value there. Um, and so I'm a big fan of just, you know, helping everybody find the, you know, these things within the things that they already love. And so if you're a music person, you know, you, you get to teach them about the, um, the uh, mathematics of music and the harmonies and the scales and all of those things, but also the science that goes into creating you know, instruments that can play music or the science and the technology that goes into recording. Um, they, I mean, it's in everything. If you're an athlete and you, and you like football, you know, it's nothing but physics, right? Uh, and so you can teach all about physics and, and science and, but also the technology of how the equipment has gotten better and why, and, and what's the, the neuroscience behind, you know, injuries and, and uh, concussions. And also it's, so it's all entwined colors, the colors that you choose for your uniforms and why, and it, I love it because it's Absolutely. everywhere it's all around us. Absolutely. And if we get them to understand that, then you can talk about how the next fashion designer might, you know, they're also a use those colors. They're a STEM enthusiast and they, they can talk about the science within the, you know, the, their field. 
um, and the technology within their field. And so you don't have to be, we, we, we um, kind of box people in as being a scientist if they fall into these disciplines, but you can be a scientist in these other non-traditional ways too. Absolutely. And one last thing, what advice would you have for the next generation of people out there who want to go to space one day? Well, it all starts here on Earth. And so it's all about using your space to inspire those within your reach and beyond. And so figuring out what your strengths are, what your passions are, and sharing those with people and, um, and then using them to inspire. And, uh, and I think that that's the pathway, because if you're doing the things that you love, and you're being inspiring and positive and, and helpful, then those things will lead you down the path to where you want to go. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the Jacob Buer Show today. I really appreciate the time that we spent together. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has Thank been great. Thank you so much.